Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. One of our most dedicated listeners uh, to this podcast, and because she's sitting Sheva, she's home, and so she's able to join us in person today. Uh, but just to say that we love that you listen to this podcast, and we love that you can be here, um, and we are continuing to send you condol- condolences and support and love uh, during this time for your, for you and for your family and the memory of your dad. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Rabbi Shapiro, I will turn it over to you. All right. Hey, folks. Shabbat shalom. Um, uh, in thinking about this topic, Rabbi Shatz, we, we talked about a version of this topic a couple of weeks ago, but you know what? You know who's going to remember? Joanna is definitely going to remember because Joanna actually remembers what we talk about from week to week. Um, but uh, this is a topic that we've touched on a little bit in terms of prophecy and sorcery and all sorts of fun and vaguely idolatrous things like that. Um, so we're going to, we're going to dive into that topic. This week's Parsha is Shoftim, um, which as we, as we build up momentum moving through uh, Deuteronomy has some, some greatest hits type pieces that you've probably heard before this week, of course, has the famous, uh, injunction Tzedek Tzedek uh, Tirdof that justice justice you shall pursue or justice you shall pursue justly or get out there and pursue some justice or any number of other translations that you can work with um, and there's a lot of, of bibs and bobs uh, that that you might know and that are thematically sort of um, d- disconnected right and, and many of them um, riffing on deuteronomic themes that we're hearing, centralization of worship. Um, we hear about uh, something that we know Rabbi Schatz loves to talk about. We hear about the king writing his own Torah this week, right, Rabbi Schatz? Yeah, actually, that's what I'm doing during Beit that was That's my Beit teaching. So there's your, there's your teaser Hello. and or spoiler alert for tomorrow no, no. in Beit uh, if that's you're showing funny. up. Um, but we are focusing on neither of those things. And it's a good thing that we're not focusing on uh, what Rabbi Schatz is doing tomorrow. Because first of all, that means she wouldn't have paid attention when I said what verses that we're doing, which was bad. <laughs> and has only happened once here. Uh, no, no, no. That's uh, not uh, what happened. You sent me the wrong verses. I paid attention. You sent me the wrong verses. I don't believe you. Okay. Um, and uh, the other... Um, Okay, we're just going to get into it, because Rabbi Shantz needs to focus here. Okay. Um, We are picking up chapter 18 of Devarim, um, and and we're going to sort of scooch through these first chunks with with some rapidity, because they're not really connected to what we're actually talking about. This first piece is talking about what uh, the Levi'im, what the Levites, the priests, um, are going to be... Um, doing or, or or not in terms of how it works for them. They don't have land. They get um, offerings from the people. We have to offer up first fruits to the priests. Um, they are a specially chosen group within the Israelite people. Going on a bit more, 
if and when that Levite goes out, um, that they should, you know, be receiving some uh, remuneration in terms of what, what that looks like. Um, that's, that's what the first chunk of this chapter is about. Getting more into the theme of what we are going to be looking at, starting with verse nine, um, and, and picking up on a theme we've heard more, more than once in this book already. When you come into the land, uh, don't do what other people are doing. Don't learn to do those, those toevot, those abominations that those other people are doing. Um, no one amongst you uh, should be uh, consigning his son or daughter to the fire. Good parenting tip. Thank you, Dvarim. Uh, nor should they be any of these, these types of false prophets that you might find in the ancient Near East, an augur, a soothsayer, a diviner, or in fact, a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or one who consults ghosts or familiar spirits, or one who inquires of the dead. So what we can learn from these verses is there's a, there's a whole lot of idolatry going on, as Jerry Lee Lewis said. Um, for anyone who does such things is abhorrent to the Lord. And that is in fact, and we get some causality here, that's why... God is taking them out and letting you move in, right? Which is an interesting bit of theology um, and, and somewhat at odds, right? With, with what we, we've heard at various points, right? We've heard about how we'll inherit the land, not necessarily because of what other people are doing, but there's also this thread in the Torah that we get the land because other people are getting kicked out. So that's, that's often interesting to track. Um, and then verse 13, which we could spend uh, a lot of time uh, exploring, even though it is five short words, and we're just going to miss it because we're not looking at verse 13. Right, Rabbi Schatz? No, you told me two verses. That's right. See, I'm just making sure we're on the same page. That's very good. Uh, in verse 13, you should be tamim, which could be translated any number of ways, will go wholehearted with the Lord your God. It's a lovely sentiment. Always. Always, um, which we can talk about how it does or doesn't connect to the verses that we're going to look at. Seems to be a bit at odds, so you can file that away. But uh, we are looking at chapter 18, verses 14 and 15. It's what we're going to focus on for the rest of our time together. Ki hagoyim ha'ila, these nations, asher ata yoresh otam, that you are about to kick out, dispossess. El me'onanim ve'el kosmim yishma'u. They listen to these types of, of false prophets, essentially. Translated here as soothsayers and augurs, two different types of false prophets who, who you shouldn't be listening to. Ve'ata, but to you, lochen natan lecha But to you, right, God has not given you these folks. God has not given you these augurs and or soothsayers. And, and here I'll just remind us that the book of Dvarim, again, narrated by Moshe. So when so now here is is really an interesting piece where we're hearing like the words of God, but through Moses, where Moses is now saying, here's actually what's going to be unfolding moving forward. You will have like me, a prophet who comes out of your midst, who is among your brethren. 
Yakim lecha Adonai lecha. He will be raised up. He will be established for you by the Lord your God. Elav tishma'un. And you should, you will, or you should, or you will slash should listen to him. Uh, which, uh, depending on how carefully uh, you pay attention to Yigdal, is already ringing some bells in your head as to why we might be finding these verses interesting. I turn it over to the one, the only, Rabbi Rebecca Rachel Rosenberg Raphael Schatz. Two of the four, four of those were correct. Okay. Um, so, Kushiot on these verses. So, 14 and 15 are the verses we're looking at here most closely. Um, I will just say that the um, part of what struck me about these verses is, and Rabbi Shapiro kind of, uh, without saying it, kind of showed this through his translation, that some of these words don't necessarily mean how they are being translated in English. And sometimes we get that with Hebrew, which obviously an ideal would be to just read Torah in the original and understand it in the original. That's not the the way that most people can understand Torah these days, which is totally fine. I just want to point out that in terms of the translation, it's being made to sound good and make sense in English, where some of the words might actually not mean those things in the same way in Hebrew as they do to us in English. So happy to obviously take questions about them, but just wanted to kind of give that as a, as a framework and a caveat to some of the questions that I assume um, you might have. So anybody have any questions, raise your hand and I am happy to call on you. I'm getting ready to go back into the sixth grade classroom. Yeah, Renee. So what are those nations? Say that again. What are those nations? What are those nations? Oh, where it says Kihagoyim. Sorry. What are you talking about? Um, right. So which nations are we specifically talking about here? Um, and which nations then do you do you have kind of the, the obligation, right, to, to dispose us when you go into the land? Okay, great. I don't, I'm not, definitely not going to go into that. I don't know if Robert Shapiro is, but, um, but it will kind of say. A there, is there later. a difference? Is there a difference between the nations that um, have those words that I don't know versus the nations that God hasn't assigned. Um, how are you making the distinction between those? I don't know. I mean, it says those nations that you're about to dispossess. Right. Resort to those soothe whatever sayers and others. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the, but the Lord didn't give you the same. So are the, are the, is the nations that those peoples or spirits or whatever they are, resorting to are they different than the nations that god has assigned assigned us that's what it seems to be saying i, I don't know if rabbi shapiro has a different take on that but that's what it seems to be saying right it seems to be said oh you're moving around are you going to try to say something <laughs> oh no okay um that it seems to be saying that that the the nations that you have not yet come upon, right, the nations that you're about to kind of dis, dismantle when you get into the land, um, are the ones who deal with magicians and deal with sorcerers, and that's not the way that our nation is behaving. So if I'm answering your question correctly, I'm not actually sure that I understand your question. So if that was your question and I answered it correctly, then that is my answer, but I'm not sure. 
Uh, Denise. Okay. Wait, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Because whatever. The camera's not working and it says the microphone is connected, but I guess. You're good. Okay. So um, in the Hebrew, it says, which makes me think of the word Yerusha for yep. inheritance. Uh-huh. Um, but in English, it says dispossess and that, and we've been sort of discussing it based on that translation. Yeah. But it feels like if it's saying Yerusha, Tom, like, I feel like that kind of suggests a little more of an intertwined relationship. Yeah. Um, because we're inheriting that stuff. I mean, whether we're dispossessing those people or not. Right. Those tendencies would seem to be part of our legacy in some way. Beautiful. Um, which really connects to what we were talking about last week, right? That if you do away with all of these things that are not like you, how can you learn from them and acquire some of um, the attributes or the values or the uh, experiences that you would learn from uh, from those other peoples? Um, Rabbi Shapiro, can you just highlight the word Yoresh so that we can see um, the different ways that it's been? Yeah, then go to translations. Nope. Click. Can you click on Yoresh? On the word Yorish? I don't know who that is. Hi. Hi, I'm in the middle of teaching. Can you teach us take a look at this? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is <laughs> um so, so exactly what you're saying, Denise, is what I want to show you in terms of how it's being translated and the different conjugations of it, right? So the way that we are seeing it here, the idea to, to dispossess, right? You can see in the bottom where it says hefeel, right? It's number, what is that? Number four, right? To destroy is number five um, or to impoverish is number three, right? So to, to kind of do away with is the way that it's being understood in that type of conjugation. But as you are pointing out, in just the, in the simplest form, in the call form, it does mean to inherit or to take possession of. So the beautiful drash that you're making here is that there had to be some kind of closeness to dispossess these people because of the inheritance that they would have been gaining, uh, which I think is a really, a really interesting way of thinking about this that I had not, uh, that I'm not thought of before. So thank you for turning up. Uh, Tybal. Um, can we go on maybe to the next word after the otam? And is that, is that the plural of oat? Is that the plural of oat? Or is it no. the same root? You know, the oat word that for our five covenants, mm-hmm. I forget whether it's three of them or four of them have an oat. So an oat is this serious word. Is this the same root? Which means that to me, it would give more gravitas to the soothsayers and augers. So I think that Otam is just the, like the regular way that we would use Otam, which is the plural of at or right or ata really in this case right because it's it's masculine um so to you see kiha goyim ha'ela these nations that we're seeing here asher atayoreshotan that you will destroy them um and it's just it's possessive right that you will destroy them meaning at them to them right um or associated with them meaning the lands that they that they own uh it's a lovely drash but no, I don't think that it um, that it has to do with the word oat in any kind of uh, meaningful way here. Uh, yeah, Nancy. 
So this whole idea of dispossess or disinherit or however this gets translated it is, I know, it just seems problematic because earlier we're told to take care of the strangers amongst us and yeah. right like where are these people going once they get dispossessed of this yeah. land and and you know we're supposed to care for everybody so yeah yeah I uh, it, it's a beautiful question and I think that's that's part of the tension that we get a lot in the Torah right there are moments where it's saying to take care of the stranger to take care of the people in our midst and then there's also moments in the Torah not just this one that say do away with just like we saw last week do away with anybody who's in your midst who's not like you so what is that dissonance uh, and kind of how do we stand in between knowing those two things and obviously in modern day it's easier for us to just refer to one and not to the other though as we know not everybody does there are still people in our you know in our <laughs> existence uh that that do understand this dispossession um or this destruction is a stronger word for it uh you know in in ways that that we're seeing throughout the world um any i can only speak for myself but I am focusing most on the next verse. So not to not to say this first verse is not important, but if there are any questions on the next verse, we also would love to hear them so that we can address them as well. Yeah, Paula. So mine was on the next verse. Great. Before you said that. So, but oh, awesome. Uh, for me, it was. Uh, I guess I'm wondering about the whole idea of God raising up for you a prophet, like how how that happens, what's that process, what I think of it in terms of I, I think Christianity uses this verse a lot as a as a reference. And and the idea of being called. I just many people will say, you know, they feel call a calling for yeah. rabbinet, a calling for being, you know, whatever. So I'm wondering about this raising up for you and how that works. Great. So that we're going to, at least I am going to get to that um, in some of what I was also interested in. And Rav just gave me thumbs up. So I'm guessing that he also um, is going to get to some of that. Um, Rabbi Shapiro, I have to respond to something very quickly that is timely. So can you take a few more of the Kushiot and then uh, if it takes me too long, go on to the next piece? Sure. How funny would it be if Rabbi Shach just left and didn't come back right now? Okay. No, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. She's abandoning me. I, <laughs> she, I, I am not in charge of Kushiot. I don't know if I can handle it, but I will do my very best. Um, yes, Paula, I, I also, um, I, 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 I don't want to spoil what jumped out at me, but I'm also curious about this idea of what, is it, what does it mean that another prophet will be raised up for sure? Yeah, Sherry. Wondering... I mean, we know through experience, but if we're just looking at these verses as if we were looking at them for the first time, what's the difference between a prophet and a soothsayer and an ogler? Yeah, yeah. How do we know what's what? So we're doing, we're following the prophet and not the soothsayer. Right, right. Well, whoever, any of them are bad, (laughs) right? Right. We're seeing like, I'll, I'll just scroll back up here for one second, right? Verses... 10 and 11 gave us a whole litany, right, of folks who we really shouldn't be listening to. And then verse 14, actually, interestingly, just names like these, these two in particular, right? Are they naming those two in particular? Um, 
saying like that, that those are like the go-tos for the, the people who are um, in the land or are they stand-ins for the whole list in the previous verses? Um, but, but yes, right. How do you, I, I think you can definitely ask the question of, you know, what, what differentiates the categories of those folk? I can't speak for Rabbi Schantz and Rabbi Schantz seemed to have pulled an Elvis and left the building. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't find a ton on differentiating those two, but yes, interesting to note that they're like different categories of folks who we should not be following for sure. Uh, Denise and then Renee, and then maybe we'll scooch on forward. Yeah. So with this business about the augers and the soothsayers and that, how is that different from like all the stuff with segulas and, you know, pray to this rabbi if you lost something and pray to that guy if you want a shidduch and, and touch your doorpost three times when the moon is out if you want something else to happen and wearing ribbons for parnas and all those things that people do that feel kind of nutty to me. Um, but they also feel like just kind of instinctively a little squeamish spiritually that like we're not supposed to be doing those things. We're supposed to be relying on God in our own prayers and our own efforts, not including those kind of indexical magic things. And it seems like it's saying that right here. So when people engage in those practices, how do they justify it? How do they make it okay? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think that's a, a really big question. Um, and I think we've, we've touched on it here and there in this class. I mean, I, I think that there are, um, there's, there's a broad spectrum of practice even today, right? Like the conservative movement uh, for those, for the, for, for your brief bit of 20th century or 19th century, rather a Jewish history, right? Conservative movement came out of the Wissenschaft der Judentums, which, uh, good luck saying that three times fast or even five, um, right? This sort of intellectualized concept of what Judaism was and, and grounding in logic and so on and so forth. Um, there are still, there were then and there are still, you know, threads of Judaism that are much more grounded in a different perspective. Um, you know, I, I remember when I met, you know, Sarah's family and I walked into her auntie Sophie's apartment for the first time. And there were all like, and there was a, a big picture of Baba Sally, right. Hanging up next to the bookcase. Right. We didn't, we definitely did not have that growing, growing up in my sort of Americanized conservative Jewish home, but for her family who came from India, there's a very different sort of perspective on um, Rebeam in that way. And, you know, Denise, not, not necessarily the specific stuff that you're naming, but there are definitely different perspectives on that even today. And certainly going back in terms of what rituals hold sway in our tradition as indications of meaning, um, and even, you know, we were talking about this a bit last week, right? The threads um, of other traditions that are woven into our tradition. You know, I have I have a good friend who hated coming to Shalan Sukkot because she would see like the lulavs and etrogs waving around. She'd be like, this is just paganism. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, a little bit, right? There, there, there are hints of that woven in our tradition. That's certainly interesting to consider and play with. I could say a lot more about that. Um, I see there are hands. Um, Renee and then Bonnie. 
So I'm curious as to, um, you know, we're constantly told that there should be only one God and one God like him, yet he's telling um, the people, I guess, that he's going to, that we should choose a prophet that's like him. Well, so nobody was, but we were, I thought nobody was like him. So, and how are we supposed to know what like him means? I'll, 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 I'll refine that question just a bit, but, but put an even finer point on it, which is to say, again, like Tvarim is, is like from the perspective of Moshe, right? So this isn't, these aren't, this isn't God saying this, right? But this is Moses saying, God will raise up for you a prophet like me, me in this case being Moshe, but still, right? And I sort of hinted at this when I was initially going through the verses, we are told over and over again, and it's even in the Torah later on, that there was never another prophet like Moshe, right? So Torah, get your act together, right? Like, and the rabbis love. Oh, this was like, oh, oh, Rabbi Schatz, coming in hot. What's that up? was the thing the rabbis had the most fun talking about, right? How can you possibly say that there's going to be somebody like me. Didn't you just say that no one can be like him? Um, and to Renee's point, no, also no one can be like God. So uh, the rabbis, that was not the part that I really wanted to focus on, but that is the part that the rabbis really wanted to focus on. Oh, I thought on. that was fascinating. I have a lot of, I, I thought that that was, I thought it's it was- It's why we teach together, because we find different things fascinating. And because we have good time doing it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely thought that, it was interesting to see the rabbis like try to scramble right? Mm-hmm. To, tr- to try to say, well, this part and this part right, right. add up. How can we, how can we do that? Bonnie yeah. has been waiting very patiently <laughs> as she so often does. Yes, Bonnie. I was just curious as to what way God, we, the people, the Israelites were going to know that this was the right prophet because we yeah. know that there's a lot of, people who try to take over and what are the signs? So I'm going to, I'm going to do something that we don't often do in this class, which is to actually like skip ahead a few verses because there's something that gives that particularly interesting context as well. Because if you look ahead a few, right, we see it again, then here in verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among them. I will put my words in his mouth. Um, And here you see, like, how do you know, right? Verse 21, how do you know, that this is a legit guy or gal, as the case may be. Uh, if the prophet speaks in the name of God and the oracle does not come true, that oracle is not spoken by God, right? So how do we know who's a good prophet? Well, if it comes true, is that I don't know about that as like the, the sort of core criterion for what for what we're really talking about here. Um, we're not focusing in on that per se, but it's lingering just a few verses later, and it, it felt uh, germane to at least name it. Tybal, and then Rabbi Shantz well, teach us all stuff. Because of my name, I have to respond to that. So, but if you have a true prophet who warns the people and they listen, so the, and the people do do tshuva, I'll use that because of the season. the season. That means to me the prophet was even more true, but what the prophet prophesied didn't come true because the people listened. So so thinking Jonah, yeah? 
Yes, Tagal yeah. is the Yiddish. That means the same thing. <laughs> there, ah, I need to brush up on my Yiddish. Um, and br- that's not true. Brush up would imply I ever knew Yiddish. I need to take Yiddish 101. Rabbi uh, Schatz, can you arrange a Yiddish 101 class for our community? Can I? Sure. Will yeah, great. I? Uh, I'll okay. teach you. I'll teach you. There you oh, go, there you go. Renee, yes, Renee, Renee. There you go. Okay, very good. You found the teacher. Um, uh, anyway, Tybal, to your point, I actually saw, um, I, I saw it when I was looking through. I don't know if I still have it on my sheet, but I, I saw specifically Jonah referred to because that seems to find the face of exactly what that verse is talking about. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Rabbi Schatz, yes. do you want to get this party started or do you want me? How do you want to do this? Um, which verse are you more focused on? I'm focused on all the verses. I'm focused on all of them. I'm focused on all the verses at once. Um, I don't know. I can do either. I, I, I think I you can. go first because oh. I don't have anything on the first verse. So if you want to do anything on the first verse, then you do that. I was probably going to hop over to verse 15 since that's kind of where it's no. living. Do 15 and I'll, I'll chime in. So like I said, I'll, I'll maybe offer up sort of a triad of rabbis twisting in the wind, trying to make the Torah make sense since that's always interesting. Um, like I just said, I think it's really, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting to note this idea um, it's at least what what caught my attention most specifically um, in, in selecting these verses for today. This idea that Moses is very explicitly saying here, God will raise up for you a prophet like me, even though we are told in the Torah and then frequently in rabbinic literature that there was never another prophet like Moshe. Like if, if you're Yigdal, lo kam Yisrael, ke Moshe, od navi, umabit et munato. Um, Renee is dancing. Um, yes. Um, that is from Yigdal. We can't just sing and not tell people what that's from. That's from the end. I said Yigdal. I said Yigdal at the very beginning. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, nobody listens. So from the end of Kabbalah Shabbat. Okay. From the end of Kabbalah Shabbat and what Yigdal is is an enumeration of uh, Rambam's 13 articles of faith, right? So if, if you are holding by the Rambam, as plenty of good folks do, one of the, one of the core components of how we think about um, core articles of Jewish belief is that there was never another prophet like Moshe. And yet here in the Torah, we're seeing Moses himself say very clearly, God will raise up for you another prophet, like me, and you should listen to him, right? So that kind of seems to be at odds. So I'll, I'll offer, I have, I have a few, I'll offer three kind of to start with. Chizkuni says, um, Moses is referring to Joshua. I'm not quite sure where he gets it from, but Chizkuni says Moses is referring to Joshua, that this other prophet who will be raised up is Yahushua, which makes a certain sense in context, right? If we're thinking about the Deuteronomic project um, within the context of the Torah, it's Moses' farewell speech to the people. You could say, sure. It, it, it makes kind of an intuitive sense that if Moses, you, you could just say, God is raising up Joshua, right? A prophet like me, but sure. 
right? That's that's one way of of thinking about it. Um, the uh, which one of these do I want to toss out there? Uh, the Rosh bomb. Oh my gosh! Oh, mm. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I'll just comment on it. Go ahead. Do you, I was just going to offer a small piece from? Yeah, the, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I wish out is very excited about the Rosh bomb. <laughs> I just I have very few sources today, and I had a feeling that you would choose them too. Anyway, go ahead. Great. You sure? Anything else you want to put out there on that? No, we're good. Um, the Rashbaum said, and Rabbi Shatz will no doubt get get into this in more depth, it seems. Um, basically, what, what it means is that other prophets would have similar faith in God. That there might be a difference in a series of pieces, but that in order to be a prophet, you need to have a deep and abiding faith in God. And so, therefore, what's being referred to here is not necessarily... Um, the prophecy itself, but a deeper inner experience of. Hi, Susan. Yeah, Susan, I'm teaching my class right now. You oh, don't have to talk to me. Just... Oh, I don't have to talk to Susan. She's just interrupting me <laughs> to share the goodbye card for the staff member that we're having a goodbye lunch for in 21 minutes with a very oh, sad looking. Rabbi Shots, look I'm at how mute sad. You. Look I'm at how mute sad you. the dog is. Blame Susan. I'm going to mute you. Uh, not my fault. That Rashbam is saying what makes the prophet um, like Moshe is is the level of faith in God. Um, Can I okay, say something I'm going to say this and then I'm going to say one more thing and then okay. Rabbi going to talk. Um, the Sifte Chachamim says that the, the key component is that just that that as I am from within you, so to this next prophet shall be from within you, right? Which to me seems to be in contradistinction from the previous verse, which is talking about all these other dudes, they're dudes because all dudes are uh, bad dudes. Um, all the other dudes are from other nations, but this this dude or dudette uh, who will come after me is is Dafka from within your people, right? Because it makes a point, the verse makes a point of saying from within your midst, out of your fellows. So what really distinguishes this prophet, the way you know at the very least that a prophet is a prophet is that it comes out of the Israelite people and no other people. Um, I, I just need to say one more thing and then I'll turn it over to Rabbi Schatz. I, I thought it was um, really, really interested that the Rambam, who, who is worried about a lot, Rambam's worried about a lot of things, but Rambam who cites Moshe specifically is there's never another prophet like him and who is, you can read the Rambam a lot of different ways. Uh, it's called guide. His main work is often said guide uh, for the perplexed, but it's, it's really a guide to greater per- perplexity. It's very confusing. Um, but but th- there's a normative understanding of the Rambam that he's a rationalist. Um, but he says about prophecy, I found this and it's, it's related. Um, he says, when a prophet who has already proven himself to be a prophet, again, it's a bit of a tautology there. How do you know a prophet's a prophet? What he says comes true. Why are you listening to him? Because it's a prophet. Hmm, okay. Uh, when a prophet who has already proven himself to be a prophet instructs us to violate one of the mitzvot of the Torah or many mitzvot, whether they be of a severe or light nature for a limited amount of time, he adds that caveat for a limited amount of time, it is a mitzvah to listen to him, which I thought was fascinating. 
that the Rambam is saying, if there's a prophet who's proven to be a prophet, which is a pretty high bar to clear and a bit confusing how you get there. But I just thought that that was so interesting that there are ways in which even the Rambam is saying um, that, that that's what's expected of you. Um, Rabbi Schatz, I'm going to stop yeah. talking. That, that was, there, was a, there was a lot out there, but, but I'll, I'll turn it up. I, 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 wanna... I have more I can say on it, but, but I thought it was very interesting to explore. Yeah. Okay. I, it was very interesting. I just want, and we can go back to you. I just want to add to the Rashbam piece very quickly. Because... You, can, you can tell how engaged. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, sure. Okay. No, I think it was really interesting. I just, I want to go back to the Rashbam piece because the one thing about the Rashbam piece that I, that I really um, connected to was this idea and I'll share it so you can see the, um, the commentary itself. Um, can you see that? It just did a weird thing to my screen, but you can see it. Okay, great. Um, so it says starting here, though the other part, the, the beginning is also great, but it's just not necessary to what I'm about to say. Moses was familiar with God on an unprecedented level, speaking to God at any time and being addressed by God without introductory formalities. When we think about the idea of panim el panim, speaking face to face, which I'll come back to in a second because I actually think it has to do with Sedek, Sedek, Tirdof, as the informal nature of two friends speaking with one another, right? That I could, Bonnie's just the face I can see on my screen, I could go to Bonnie's house and have a conversation with her because I know her, because we have a relationship, because there's a friendship and a trust there. It would be very different than if I just saw someone on the street who I might be face-to-face with, you know, in, in physicality, but I wouldn't necessarily have the same kind of conversation with. That's a very, that wouldn't necessarily be called panim el panim. Sure, it's in proximity to one another. You're looking at each other's faces, but it's not two friends speaking to one another. The verse does not mean that subsequent prophets would have had less faith in God than Moses had had. Concerning that aspect of Moses as a prophet, he told the people that prophets after him would display similar faith in God, kamoni, like the, like the relationship he had to God. That's what Rabbi Shapiro mentioned in his, um, in his interest in this commentary. They too would faithfully de- deliver messages from God, neither withholding part nor adding something of their own and passing it off as a divine message. So to me, yes, sure, they would have a similar kind of relationship that Moses had to God, but even more so maybe in my mind that it, that it's it's not just a relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. It's a, it's I vow, right? If we're going to go with, with Boober for a second here, it's not just, oh, I know you, but it's, there is, there's something there for me to feel like when I am in your presence, I can speak to you, uh, as a friend, as a confidant, as a, as a student, as a mentor, whatever. The, the reason that I think it connects to Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof is a few years ago, I was teaching on this verse, um, and I'm actually going to be using it tomorrow during a baby naming as well in a similar way, uh, that when you see the word Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, and you think about what justice is, it's actually a mirror, and some of you might have heard me say this, it's as if Tzedek is a mirror to the other Tzedek, right, that if you don't do the justice, then the people will not find the justice. If you don't seek out places in which justice can be done, you will not then be moved to do justice in in the world. And I think that panim el panim is the same. A person standing in front of me who feels like they have a relationship with me 
is not a relationship. I have to also feel like there is trust and security and friendship there to reciprocate. So I just want, not that I'm not going to drosh on set aesthetic to your dope, because that's not our verse, but I just wanted to bring it back to that same kind of juxtaposition of, I think a prophet is someone who's supposed to have kind of that mirror effect or that relational effect um, with God and be able to not only show the pieces of God that should be shown out to the world, but also be able to say, I, I added something to my relationship with God that God has then also put out into the world that I'm going to share with you. That's all. Back to you. You're muted though. So this is going to be hard for you to talk. No, but I, I, you, 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 you boobered the way that I don't think boober should be boobered. I think boober should be boobered differently. Okay. Well, um, I, I I think I vow is, is almost always misconstrued. And this is the way in which I think it is most commonly misconstrued. Okay. I, that when boober talks about I thou, he starts the book by, by talking about how you can have an I thou experience with a tree. And this isn't like Lord of the Rings or, or Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like Groot or the Ents or anything like that, where, where like you have an actual relationship with a tree. Um, although okay. maybe Boober anticipated the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which would be really interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Tolkien might have been around actually at the same time as Boober, so I don't, I don't, I haven't seen if J.R.R. Tolkien and Martin Boober ever hung out. Although that would be a cool um, short story. Um, but he he actually talks about how I thou yes it's relationship but you you have an I thou experience of the world yeah. or an I it experience of the world okay. and usually the way I thou is explained is that you have an I you have an I thou relationship with someone or you have an I it relationship with someone it's like you have an right. I thou relationship with your spouse or an I it relationship with a cashier and that's usually okay. how it's explained. I thou means when I'm walking around in the world, I am seeing the fullness of the world and the other party in its totality. So when I look at a tree, I'm not just seeing it as a source for timber. I'm seeing the tree as it was originally a seed and now it's flowering and what like I'm seeing the tree in its full tree in terms of what it is. So if I'm having an I thou relationship with another person, I don't see that person in just their utilitarian, what can I get out of them? I'm seeing them in their fullness as a person. Now yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving all that, that backstory because backstory, once one philosopher, Explaining. not backstory, but background. Yeah. Um, but all of that to say that because you're talking about it relationally and I think that can actually be, be a can be flipped around to say, I'm not sure that 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 necessarily needs to be the case in terms of that reciprocity, at least within that construct. But it is interesting to think about through this lens of prophecy in terms of what is the expectation of a prophet? It might be to experience the world in that way, which does actually circle all the way around to this idea that there might not ever be a prophet like Moshe because of the relationship that God had with Moshe. But maybe there can be a prophet like Moshe in terms of someone who's able to experience the world in terms of what the divinity that it holds the way that Moshe uh, did, rather. 
right? That you can say no one else might have the relationship with God the way Moses did. That may very well be true. And a prophetic consciousness is still possible to be established, which, which also gets back to something that I think is, is flows, you know, sort of in and out of our conversations, which is how much of spiritual or prophetic experience is limited and how much is it accessible to any Tom, Dick, or Yosef, right? So I think there's you're a making me feel like I felt in my first year of rabbinical school when I took uh, intro to philosophy with Rabbi Artson. He would always start class and we would begin to like get into a topic and I'd be totally with him. And then by the end of class, I was like, I don't know what just happened. I, 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 think, I was trying to keep it linear. Did it? Did, I think did it does we, anyone know what I'm talking? I thought I knew what I was talking I think about. That, maybe no one else. Wait, hold on. I think that we agree. Me? I, like, okay. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think that we, I don't think that we disagree. I, I think, I think the way that I'm describing I and thou is, is that relational aspect, not to say that the other, your tree example, right. That, 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 that like totality of, um, of relationship of experience with a something cannot, cannot also be, part of what a relationship like the one that I think Moshe and God had, I, I guess I don't, I don't see where the, where the, um, where the disagreement is. I think I was just speaking to one aspect of a whole that then you spoke to, but maybe I just didn't understand what you were getting at. That's what I, if I understood you, I was trying to say one aspect of the larger framework that I think you just gave us. So, so yes. Yeah. I, I think ultimately we're saying similar things. I was just saying that in terms of, again, differentiating between Moshe and other prophets, I think even though I don't necessarily agree with the way you were depicting what I and thou is, I think contained within that actually is an interesting way of reframing the rabbinic sort of dilemma with this verse, right? Which, which, which is interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody have any thoughts? Joanna wrote a really beautiful thing in the chat. I'll read it out loud since people on the podcast can't read the chat. Um, the relational aspect of Sedek Sedek Tirdof, I think, is also expressed when we say Chazak, Chazak, Vanit Chazak, for sure. Uh, when we finish a book of Torah, greater strength comes from being in relationship with one, with one another, sorry. Greater justice comes from being in relationship with one another, and that the strength or justice that comes about from Joint relationships is greater than the sum of its parts. Beautiful. You too can give a drush on Sedek Sedek Dirdo. Uh, wonderful. Other, other thoughts on this or anything that Rabbi Shapiro or I just shared that you, we would just love to hear your voices before we just keep talking. <laughs> because apparently nobody knows what I'm talking about. So. No, I, that's not what I meant. I just, you started off by saying that you disagreed and I just didn't hear the disagreement. That's, that's what I was trying to, to get at. Um, Okay, do you wanna do you wanna share another bit and we'll see if people have a something on that bit? You, Rabbi Shapiro? Yeah, no. <laughs> you can you can you can share a bit and then I can apparently disagree with it without disagreeing with it. What I what I was saying I never mind. I'm, I'll I'll Go ahead. I'll, 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 try, I'll try again I'll try again later. I mean we only have a few minutes left. Maybe we should we should bring something else into the <laughs> Okay. Okay, go for it. Rabbi Shach, you're okay. in charge. All right. Um, there, I found something uh, that I 
that I'm not going to read the whole piece here because I think it's, first of all, it's quite long. And I think that you don't need to go into every bit of this um, commentary to understand what is laid out in the first few sentences. I, I for, I'm so sorry that I forget who brought this up in the Kushio um, section of our program. Um, but this idea of who you're going to, what does it mean to, to heed this person, right? What does it mean to listen to this person? Um, and why then, right? Why all of a sudden are you supposed to be listening to them when, uh, when you might not, other than them being someone who God is uh, kind of giving the stamp of approval on, you don't necessarily know who this person is and you might not trust them or you might just not have any reason to listen to them because you've never met them before. So why, why listen to them? Why, um, uh, why heed their advice? So the Drashot Haran says, there's yet another. Oh, respect. I loved this part. This part oh, you was did? so great. Oh my God. Well, it's, it's, it's Reb Nach- I mean, hello. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Reb Nach- okay. Oh, I'm so glad that we're going to end. On but I'm very interested to see if you, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see if we disagree or agree or agree about disagreeing or disagree about it. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see where okay. we wind up. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll share it so you can read it along with me again. I'm not going to read the, the whole thing, but um, you can see a bit here. Okay. And there's yet another respect in which a sage is greater than a prophet. Okay, so a sage being like a teacher or an our day, like a professor or maybe even a rabbi, a prophet's credibility is dependent upon a sage, but a sage's credibility is not dependent upon a prophet. I'm just gonna read that one more time. A prophet's credibility is dependent upon a sage, but a sage's credibility is not dependent upon a prophet. For if a prophet would command us not to heed a sage, he himself would not be heeded. This discri- the discrimination of a prophet, however, is left to the sages. The Torah have, having written a prophet from your midst, from your brothers, such as I, will the Lord your God raise up for you and you shall heed him. It says here, him you, shall you heed. No criteria are given for the discrimination of a true from a false prophet. And though it is written, and if you ask, how shall I know the thing that the Lord has not spoken, whatever thing the prophets say in the name of the Lord, and that that thing not come to pass, then that thing was not spoken by the Lord. This does not necessarily imply the converse, that whatever does come to pass has been spoken by the Lord. So, Rajmira, I'm actually kind of interested to hear your thoughts on this before I share my thoughts, because I'm interested to know if they're the same. Um, but I'm glad that you also liked this piece. Different piece, different part of Dreshot Haran. I was excited. Yeah, no, I was excited about a different part. This is mine, but I was excited about something completely different. Do you want to share your other part and then we can combine them? Mm, It's a completely different thought, so it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Okay, all right, fine. But the part I like tied in very, very brief, it tied in the verse that we didn't talk about that you should be whole. And it talks about how the next two verses answer, like, why does it say you should, you shall be whole and then go into this topic. And it says, because you shall be whole indicates that you shouldn't feel like you're missing out on anything by not getting access to the soothsayers. And it's really, it like stacks up those verses together and talks about how because of the prophet the prophet helps you see what you otherwise couldn't see so like you are whole you shall be whole 
don't worry, you're not missing anything from the false prophets. The prophet is the one who helps to make you all. It's really, it's a longer bit. That's but lovely. It's, it's, yeah, really nice. I like that. Not at well, all. Well, actually, it actually ties into what I find so interesting about oh, this piece, go. is that um, what, what I think, if we just break down, if we take away titles for a second and we just break down what's happening here, we're saying that a regular person is the one that you need to imagine has kind of brought up this person that has connection with God and that this person that has a connection with God is only um, validated by the normal person. And I think that's just a really beautiful way of us thinking about how we choose our leaders, right? That just because in any religion, right? That just because someone's at the altar or the, the podium or in our case, the Bema, right? That, that there is, there's nothing that says that I have a deeper connection or deeper relationship with God than the person sitting in the fourth pew to my right. It's just that there is a relationship in us being able to utilize one another's access to, to religion or to custom or to God that helps the other one be strong and be validated. And I, I just, I think as, um, as a young rabbi in the field that that, that that brings me a lot of strength, right? That I don't have to have all of the answers. I don't have to be the rabbi. I can have other rabbis that I turn to. And yet, for some people, I am their rabbi. And so that that um, relational piece of knowing that your strength can come from others and that relational piece of getting the strength from someone who's believing in your strength, to me, is just a really a beautiful way of thinking about prophecy um, and how it used to work back in the day, that it wasn't just a guy who supposedly had more connection to God, but that a sage said, no, I see that they have a connection to God. And so now they should be elevated um, to have this title. So it kind of goes to what Rabbi Shapiro was saying in terms of like the taking all the different pieces uh, and, and allowing them to, to influence you and influence your life. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.